pain. Pain, pain, pain. I'm Kyle Pagan. Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. Subscribe for me. Hit the thumbs up, whether you're on the YouTube, whether you're on the podcast. Let's just get it over with. Come here, Bob Wankel. Get the hell on the stream. <laughs> What's up? You all right, man? You going to make it or what? No, that sucked. I mean, it sucked between the Zebras. It sucked between the unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. It sucked between the rough and the passer penalties, the two fumbles. People are saying Jalen Hurst didn't have a good game. I disagree with that. I thought he played pretty well. Played pretty well with you know what he was given and everything. But I mean, I never understood something. Someone wanting to like break something or throw their TV on the ground. Like you see those videos all the time. Someone throwing their fist through the TV or they're throwing their TV off the balcony. I can't believe I'm about to say what I'm about to say. That was the most frustrating Eagles game I've ever watched in my entire life. Maybe I just didn't pay attention to the other 28 years of of Eagles football. But I literally at one point from the back to back of the Quez Watkins fumble to the uh, roughing the passer penalty, I walked to my TV and had to stop myself from literally grabbing it on the sides because I was just started yelling. So you've never thrown a remote. You've never, you know, I don't know, punched a wall. I've never punched a wall. I've thrown a remote though. I've, I've never punched a, a wall. Like throwing a thrown a remote in like a pillow before, like not at the wall or anything. Not like, at the wall, but like at the couch, like in that general p- direction. Yeah, at the so, couch. I wonder how much of, of the way that you feel, because I mean, listen, as you know, we, we've discussed this. I was quite agitated last <laughs> night. And I wonder how much of it is uh like the context of how things played out. You know, you, nobody really paid attention to the Eagles against the Texans, so it feels like they haven't played mm-hmm. or won a game in multiple weeks. Mm-hmm. You have the disappointment of the Phillies World Series. You have a 2-1 lead, and you go loss, 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 you know, and, and, and to close that out. So the city's kind of like, okay, here are the Eagles. We're back to the Eagles now. We're all in. And they're at home. They're a double-digit favorite. They have 10 days to prepare for this game. You're facing – a backup quarterback who is, though scrappy, very limited, and you got pushed around. And that's going to happen in the NFL. I think we all understand that. Team wasn't going to go undefeated. But for things to play out the way that they did, and then you talked about the ending, the missed opportunities, the penalties, it was like a perfect storm of bullshit last night. And I think you can take a deep breath and step back and say, hey, it's one game. But at the same time, the way it played out, and then, oh, by the way, looking at the bigger picture, you're tied with Minnesota for the best record in the NFC again. You're one game ahead of the Giants. It's not like the Eagles are front-running this to the point where, ah, no big deal. It's interesting. That's what I think was the most, why I was like the most angry, and it was because of the narrative. And, you know, you wonder why these Stephen A shows and these FS1, these Carton show works and stuff, is because they do get at like the passion of the fan and they get at like the cerebral like cortex i don't even know if that's a fucking word of the fan like i'm listening to carton like talk shit on the on the eagles phillies soccer when none of his new york teams even made it out of the conference finals and his and his basketball team sucks but it's still just eating away at me. And then we had to just fight with everybody on social media about are the Eagles for real or not? And then Mike Florio tweets after the game, oh, well, Vikings will be number one in the power rankings the next day. It's like, do we forget week two? Like, do we forget that just uh, domination from week two on Monday Night Football? Like, that's what I hate, the, the narrative. This, it, so much gets just lost in this just ever-content bullshit. Well, that's what it is. It's it's content bullshit, right? And we, we're part of this. Like, we yeah. do this, you know, and I think that we try to take a fair and measured approach and all that stuff. But, I mean, there's a recency bias when you look at power rankings. Power rankings are utterly irrelevant. I mean, oh, the Bills are the best team. Oh, no, they're not. Oh, the Chiefs are the best team. Oh, no, they're not. I mean, we see this week in, week out. In the NFL, you're going to have, and I'm not going to use, like, the word parody, but there's going to be a a level of unpredictability, and you're not going to bring your A game every week. You're going to falter at times. Eagles come back, win the next couple games. They're 10, 11, and 1. Everybody's going to be right back on board. I try not to buy into all of that like the Craig Cart and stuff calling out Philly I try not to do the you know the WIP polls and and all that but I do think as like a fan you are within your right to be frustrated about what happened last night and I think that 
I think that from a greater picture, what really matters, you know, the standings, the seedings, matchups, mm-hmm. there's a reason to have a little anxiety, right? Like just two, two things to put into perspective going into last night. You look at the advanced line going against the Colts next week in week 11. The Eagles were actually anywhere between nine and 10 point favorites on that advanced line against Indianapolis. Well, that's down to six and a half right now, DraftKings. So, I mean, last night's result shaved three points off that thing. And I'll tell you why in a second. And then you look at to win the NFC East. So everything plays out on Sunday. Eagles are minus 800 to win the NFC East. This morning, minus 300. I mean, and and what that comes into is you say, well, what happened to the Eagles last night? You know, you talked about the penalties and we'll talk about that. And you talk about, you know, some of the missed opportunities. The thing that concerned me the most was just watching Washington say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to run it right at you and you're not going to stop it. And that was concerning to watch how that played out. I mean, that's where the time of possession comes in. You know, that you're talking seven, eight minute drives. Your offense can't get into a rhythm. Well, now you're staring down the barrel at the Colts who are going to run, run and run. You're staring down the barrel at the Titans who are obviously going to run. You're looking at the team, teams like the Giants, who are run first, run heavy with Saquon Barkley. Yeah, I mean, like all of a sudden, you kind of go from feeling great to going, they better get this fixed or this could get weird. Jonathan Taylor, Aaron Jones, Derek Henry, Saquon Barkley, Justin Fields, the next five games. Yeah, and I mean, you saw how run heavy the, the Packers turned against the Cowboys. Yeah. You watch that game on Sunday, you know, obviously Rodgers was really successful at the play action. But, I mean, that was a, just a run-first commitment throughout. And then they, they took their shots when they could. And that's really what Green Bay, I think, is going to do moving forward. So, yeah, I mean, the Eagles have some personnel things to kind of, you know, flesh out there on the defensive side of things for sure. Did we see the recipe for success on how to beat the Philadelphia Eagles? 6-1-0, Listen, this is the recipe for success in my mind. I'm, I'm such a sore loser, but I don't care. I, I will die on this. I will not giving that commander's team that win. I'm giving it the fact that, okay, here's a recipe. Have a good running back that can run the ball. Start off 12 for 14 on third down conversions, which a lot of people think that was on the run defense. Uh, we have a tweet. Uh, you don't have to pull it up, Craig, but a lot of that they converted through through the pass. They've converted the first five of six third down conversions using the pass. from. And I don't think they were anywhere from more than third and four. Then, you know, have your wide receiver fumble the ball after a 50-yard right reception. Have your tight end fumble the ball when his neck is being rugged around 360 degrees. And then get flagged for a late hit with 140 left to go, which gives the other team a free first down. And they win the game. That's the recipe for success, I think, to beat the Eagles. I'm not. Yeah, like, well, I, I will say, and I'll just stop you here. Yeah. Uh, I have uh, some some recipe for success against the Eagles as well. Uh, when you take one of their best offensive playmakers out of the equation for the foreseeable future, which is now what we are getting in this Dallas Goddard news. Uh, Wait, Dallas, Dallas Goddard, this is breaking right now. Um, as you can see here, Mike Garofalo, NFL Network, shoulder injury, not a season ender, but will miss a significant amount of time here. So, uh, and it came on the face mask play, no less. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like... <laughs> Oh, we're back, baby. It is. We are back in Philadelphia, aren't we? <laughs> oh, I have. I've never seen so many guys. Well, since like 2019, 2020 get hurt and, and be in the blue medical tent yesterday. I mean, yeah. and the fucking thing that adds insult to injury there is like now they do these breaking news graphics and Schefter started to do it. They do the graphics that are like really cute and really smiley and everything. It's like Dallas Goddard dead breaking news like like uh, good promoting like good morning football and like Meineke. it's like what are we doing here just report the freaking news i'm just i'm in a bad mood right yeah, now i mean we're getting this in real time and this is something an entirely different anxiety that will set in now looking forward i mean dallas goddard's obviously a huge part of what the eagles do on the offensive side of things and that is uh Going to need to process that one, I think, for a moment or two. Maybe come back to that. But, I mean, to go back to what you originally said, did the, is the formula, is the blueprint been established to knock off the Eagles? No, I mean, I don't think a lot of what you saw last night was, was sustainable. But, you know, certainly I think that you have to try to expose a – a run defense that does struggle to, to get off the field. It, it does struggle at times. Here comes Kevin Kincaid off the top rope. Sorry, Kincaid. I think my computer just froze. Can you hear me? Yeah, yep. we can hear you. 
Kevin, Dallas Goddard, hurt on the face mask play. Will not miss the season, but will miss extended time. Well, let's talk about how that is not overturnable, even though they go to review the play to find the spot where the guy, where the Washington guy is down on the field. You spot something that's clear and obvious, but you have no path to to factor that in. I mean, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. I mean, I know it's a slippery slope because you could go back and look at any play and probably find some guy holding or whatever, but something is that egregious. You know, it's ridiculous well, you, to change the say, game. When you say you care about player safety, maybe the player safety uh, – Maybe the player safety foul should be reviewable. Like you're, you know, I'm not saying like every single one should be reviewable, but like a face mask here. Well, so that's a, it's a great question, right? It's a, or it's a great point. But my question is, where do you draw the line? So like you look at last night's game and, and it goes without saying that the Eagles had so many self-inflicted issues, self-inflicted errors. That's why they lost the game. But when you do get down to it, you were in a position to potentially come back and win the game. And two significant calls go against them. And I understand that you play a regular season. You're going to get calls that go in your favor. You're going to catch breaks. We all understand that. But when you look at last night specifically, where do you draw the line on a reviewable play? Is it when there's a turnover? You can evaluate there's a foul and and then add that into consideration. How about the roughing the passer? I mean, I'm almost at the point, and this isn't because of last night, but I'm almost at the point with roughing the passer where – it's such a significant play and often such a momentum turner. I would say that it's almost right up there in terms of pass interference call and just in terms of taking the air out of the balloon from a defense. It's so important and such a momentum shifter that I feel like that, that might have to become a reviewable play. But how can you review it? I feel like that would go the same way as pass interference went. Yeah, because it's because it's such a, a subjective call in the moment. Yeah. I think that that is what's difficult because then, okay, now you bring in New York and you're going to be asking whoever, whether it's a rules interpreter or Troy Vincent or, or whoever is going to be sitting in a booth there making Mike these decisions. Pereira. Yeah, Mike Pereira, you know, or whatever consultant they have. It was a good video. Yeah. It was a great video. How do you I wonder if he was off screen. You think it was his wife? But I, I, just think, I just think it's tough, right? You have all this money. You have all this money legalized gambling just so much goes into it and to see things yeah they, that gave, that degree that the fact that that gabe davis catch didn't get reviewed in the vikings yeah. uh bills game now obviously the vikings win blah 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 all that stuff so it didn't matter in the end but it, they went down kicked a field goal off of it so you're going in overtime but what i think is really interesting is that it's almost like you know how they say any news or any publicity is is good news a lot of the time and I kind of almost feel like that it, it creates like the officiating and the lack of clarity and inconsistencies. It's aggravating as hell, but I kind of wondered to some extent if the NFL goes, I drive so much conversation. Look at all these talk shows this morning talking about rules interpretations. And I almost just wonder, like, does it have a positive impact, even though we know it makes the game questionable? What if, what if I gave you face mask, late hit, helmet to helmet, reviewable? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of think that all all of them should be reviewable, but I also wrote I lean very strongly towards pro replay in general. I know there are a lot of people that feel like it bogs down the game. You know, they're hesitant to incorporate it at any further level. I just think that if you can get it right, you have the technology to get it right, then get the fucking call right. And that's that's kind of just the way I feel when you watch these games play out. Can I make a point? This is, Bob is going to love this because I'm going to bring up his favorite point, his favorite sport of soccer. Um, they added a ref who is off the field and like in the booth, right? And the whole point is that they just look at video and they try to like flag the referee if there's like a big moment or something like that, you know? So say there's a big scrum in the box and there's like what might be a handball or whatever. The ref has on the field has a headset up to the guy in the box who says, hey, you should go back and take a look at this because I spotted something here, you know, but they only do it on stuff that's like egregious or really noticeable. So in that case, like if you had a NFL ref who was sitting in the box and said, hey, I know you guys are looking at this for a fumble, but I saw a face mask here and it was like egregious and it was clear and obvious. Then you could go to it in that point. And that way you don't get bogged down from having to review and look at every single possible infraction that there is. And you would keep things sailing smoothly. But I think like. The bigger point here 
is that normally the NFL and other leagues, whenever they make these emphasis, emphasis, emphases, what's the plural of emphasis? Emphases? Um, yeah. Anyway, on, on, <laughs> on rule changes, it's like a really rough patch for like the first five or six games of the first year. And then they kind of like recalibrate and they come back. You remember like two or three years ago when they were called lowering the helmet yeah. every yeah. five fucking seconds. And they got, they got around back that they started calling it differently. But when they started instituting the rules of protected quarterbacks with these late hits and these Fugazi, like putting all your weight on him and stuff like that, that was never really like, they never really went back and relitigated that. You know, the most controversial calls and the big talking points you have in the NFL today mostly are like centered around protecting the quarterback, late hits uh, and things of that nature. You know, and like if you even if you go back to the, the I thought actually one of the worst, the, probably the worst call that that was made last night, even more than the Brandon Grant thing, I thought it was the Chauncey Gardner Johnson hit. Late hit, yeah. You know, because it wasn't late and I don't even know what they call. There was no explanation on the field. So, you know, you can remove you can remove the goal of the the rule book and the refs is to remove as much subjectivity as you can from these things. And when they instituted that quarterback protection rule, it was the most subjective thing of all time. So, you know, problems all around. But we're not going to blame the zebras for the law. Well, I I'm I I hate that. I am more than okay to to blame refs sometimes. I knew I know there was a lot of errors on on the field from the Eagles, but yeah. holy shit. I mean, those were those were t- two controversial yeah. calls. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. one ended up winning them the game and two ended up them going up five. Well, well they the may have gotten away with one. I'm sorry, Bob. They may have gotten away with one too cuz I don't I don't know if I saw a replay of that throwaway that Heineke had. Um I don't I don't think they got back to the line I don't, or yeah. he wasn't out of the tackle box. I know a lot of people were saying that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure, but anyway, I'm sorry, Bob. No, I'm just, you go back to that Goddard play, and to me, of all of them, like even the Brandon Graham play at the end, like I in real time was like, they're going to throw the flag on this. Like, yeah. and it, I'm not saying that it's a good rule. I'm not saying that there was any intent. Like, what is he supposed to do? That was like the big report, you know? And I get it, but you just, you watch enough NFL and you know, you knew, you knew right away that the flag was coming out on yeah. that. It just, yeah. Yeah. We, we are now programmed and conditioned to just to know it. So, I, that being said, I, I can't go crazy over that. But the Goddard play, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw it. It was one of the tweets. It might have actually been what, what was just shown up on the screen. But in the video, it's actually shot from the, the, the back end zone. And you see the back judge like, <laughs> literally just staring at the play. And, and Goddard's face mask is getting ri- – I mean, yeah, here you go, 93, the back judge. Like, if, if you're not looking at that, then what the hell are you looking at, right? Like – uh, and and this is this is frustrating and and you know like we said, AJ Brown gets a ball taken out of his hands, no just horrible tackling consistently throughout the game. There's so many different issues at play here last night to to like harp on this kind of feels like a loser move. Yeah, but I do think it's 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 warranted. Like you you have to talk about this. Say it. You can go ahead and say it more more than. Thing can be true. One thing can be true. I just have a problem with the hoagie, mouth, the hoagie mouth who co- don't even read the first sentence of the article and they're like, stop it. We're not going to blame. <laughs> first of all, the next person who tells me to stop it is going to be like, better, do better, yeah, yeah, be better, be better, yeah. stop it, do better, be better. I'll give you two Why more phrases. I'll give you two more phrases that are going to be officially banned. Number one is going to be exposed. Okay. <laughs> Nobody's ever allowed to say exposed again because when you people say this in a way that makes it seem like it's it's finite, like there's no coming back from it. the Eagles have been exposed. Now, what does that mean? Like their defense can never recover. They can never make another adjustment. They're not going to win another game for this. What the fuck does that mean when you say exposed? Right. Number two, the next time I hear somebody generically use the word adjustments going into halftime, they get like a 24 hour mute. Because it's such a dad thing. You know how we talk about like the dad who's like, well, you got to get six here, you know? Adjustments has become such a vapid nothing term because nobody ever talks about the, the, what they actually want them to do. Like, oh, Jonathan Gannon's got to make some adjustments. We'll all, see I know is, adjustments. all I know is I don't like what I'm seeing, so stop doing that and do something yes. that's better. <laughs> and then if they play better in the second half, I still won't be able to tell you exactly what they did, but I can say generically that they made adjustments. That's why that just goes hand in hand, though, with like the very surface level nature of sports discourse. Because if you want to say – hey, you know, I didn't like how they divided up those zone and those man snaps, you know, or like this bear front with Marlon Tui Pelotu filling in for Jordan Davis just isn't working. Like, I would like to see them go to press man and single high safety. Tell, tell me that. 
tell me, tell me what you want it to be. But these people who just go, well, we're going to see if Gannon can make adjustments. What the hell are you talking about, man? Well, here you go. Dad's really, dad's really one of them to run the ball more in the second half. I mean, you look at the first half, Miles Sanders had two carries. Now, is that an adjustment? Do you say like, Hey, well, we, we obviously need to get the ball in his hands a little bit more. Like, yeah. But they yeah, also but, had but, they had 14 points on 19 plays. So, like, hey, that's pretty efficient. Yeah, yeah but you know what? You know what I, I think I segue that adjustments thing into, like, the, the general talk surrounding Jonathan Gannon because, of course, WIP comes out with a poll. Should they fire Jonathan Gannon? You know, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's talking about it, right? But I just wish people would put, like, some depth and some context into it. You know, when you talk about the run defense, I think I heard you actually talking about it, Peg, and it was the shame – change tweet from okay well they did get gashed on the ground a little bit but they only gave up 3.1 yards per carry really it was the third downs that were killing them on those passing plays when they were moving the chains and chewing up clock the it wasn't even necessary that they ran for like 3.1 yards per carry so they ran the ball like 49 times right and the time of possession ended up being 40 minutes right so that the defense was tired the guys in the back end couldn't make a play when people talk about jonathan gannon i just want them to like broach surface level you know what i'm saying like um yeah, this was it here, right? So they allowed passing conversions on five of six third downs in the first half. They also allowed a bunch of first down rushing too, but third and two, third and two, third and eight, third and six, third and five. They got nine yards on a third and 10 passing play to set up a fourth and one. I think Curtis Samuel had like an end around or like a quick uh, pitch, whatever they call that thing that they used and to. That, and that's that, not even adding the one that Taylor Heineke fucked up the clock and and they got a delay of game. Yeah, yeah. So I just want people to say like, hey, well, okay, you don't like Jonathan Gannon, but please frame it in the the understanding of like his scheme is built to prevent big explosive plays, right? They're the number one defense in the league at preventing explosive 20-yard plays down the field. Now that the other end of that is that, yeah, you're going to be a little more soft in the middle. So frame it that way. If you say that Jonathan, I don't like Jonathan Gannon, I want him fired. Like, what do you want him to do schematically? Do you want him to walk another guy up to the box? They don't have Avante Maddox. Do you want him to play 4-3? against these running teams do you want to go single high safety and when and do you want these guys to play press man on the outside like they give me give me like specifics of like we can talk about his scheme and the design and the players that are missing but when when you only scratch the surface it doesn't it, nobody give, nobody gets smarter you know, you know what, what frustrates me though like so i i drive my my daughter to my in-laws they watch our our child every day and so it's 30 minutes there 30 minutes back so spent a lot of time in the car in the morning and i flip back and forth between both morning shows but today i was kind of i always think the wip is better for the you know moron fan calling in ranting and raving type thing which i can relate to as a moron fan that rants and raves occasionally <laughs> so i mean the, the one thing i'll say is I, I i get why they do these polls i understand the frustration but I feel like that those polls do a disservice to real criticism, to like valid criticism. So when you say, should you fire Jonathan Gannon? Like that's absurd because they're eight and one. You look at the points per game that they've allowed, like you spoke about, obviously they limit big plays. The, the defense has done a pretty good job after week one, you know, week one, notwithstanding. So I don't know how you could in your right mind say, yeah, like you should fire the defensive coordinator in the middle of November. That's a, that's a bullshit question, right? Like if you honest to God believe that they should fire the defensive coordinator today, you're, you're an idiot. Like you just, you're, you're an absolute idiot. That being said, they had 10 days to figure out, hey, you know what? We know Washington's probably going to be run heavy here. We're, we know that we, we struggled against the run playing Houston. And, and I understand they have a good young back there. But, like, if you if you want to say, like, hey, what the hell happened in the last 10 days? Like, why can't this team tackle? Like, why are – you can limit big plays and still tackle. You know, and, like, we talk about the third down conversions. Like, yeah, a lot of that damage was done, you know – through the air on those conversions, but a lot of it was set up because it was third and manageable because you're getting blown off the fucking ball on first down. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it was five yards a shot, six yards a pop, especially in early on, you know, they tightened up a little bit later to their credit, but early in that game, there was just so much give to set up third and manageable for a mediocre passing offense. Yeah. And, and it was like, they were caught off guard by that, you know, whether it was, they weren't ready they, they just weren't expecting to take that kind of punch from Washington. They were too confident after the, the first matchup with them back in week three. But I do think you can be like critical of what played out from a defensive standpoint last night. 
Yeah, I think I think the the larger point here is that there's only so much like oxygen for sports opinions to begin with, or at least in the public forum, what gets proliferated out to the masses, you know. And I think in that finite amount of pie, because we're all distracted by the bullshit WIP morning show poll or whatever, like we're all laughing at the ridiculousness of this, but it it takes away from the time that could be spent doing valid criticism, you know, which is why I was trying to tell people early in the year when Pagan and I were going po positive and rational on the show. It's like, I'm not like saying it's all sunshine and rainbows and that the defense doesn't have to fix anything, that they don't have to get better, that they have to find a punt returner, you know, and, and thing, things of that nature. But because it's so far out on one side of the spectrum, we never really get to like the center and like the valid stuff that's worth talking about because we're wasting time, you know, on all this bullshit. And we can have a whole separate discussion because people always say like, well, why do you give the WIP morning show time? And why do you talk about this idiot? Why do you talk about that? Like, this is what they want, right? Well, I don't, I'm not a believer that all publicity is good publicity. Like, I think if you're being an idiot and you're doing a disservice to fans and you publicize that, all it says is these guys are idiots and they're doing a disservice to fans, right? Like, I know that you can just ignore it and maybe it'll go away. We're talking WIP here. Like, WIP is not going to, like, go away. They're not going to stop doing dumb morning show polls just because we stop retweeting it or writing about it. Like, that is going to persist, nonetheless right so i would argue like vehemently against that i don't think anybody gets any kind of this is what i always say to people it's like why do you put stephen a smith like on crossing broad because that's exactly what he wants i'm like there's no there's no currency from that you don't get currency from attention you don't cash in your attention for better ratings or for more money or whatever if a million people are talking about you but all of them are saying that you're an idiot then you're an idiot Right. It doesn't there, there's nothing like what do you what are you latching on to and, and translating that into? Well, the only pushback I would give you there is that Skip Bayless has a platform. Does anybody watch Skip Bayless and say this is a, an informed, intelligent opinion that I respect? No, but you have to be willing. My counter to the counter is that you have to be willing to be an idiot. Right. You know, what I mean, you, you have to that. accept the fact that people are going to think of you as a moron. Now, if you want to like live life as a moron and know that you're a joke and know that you're playing a persona, but you're a millionaire, then yeah. good for you, man. I mean, like, I, you know, a lot of people would take that, I'm sure. But I just push back against the people who are like, don't talk about this. This is exactly yeah. what they want. I don't, I don't think attention is currency is what I'm saying. You know, that's fair. Can we say Michael Clay should be fired? <laughs> yeah. Can you can you say that the special teams coordinator should be fired? That's very what. I mean, I no, I don't, I would not fire any coordinator of an eight and one team <laughs> midseason, but I I do think that there's any criticisms you have of those special teams units, I think is more than fair, you know, and he that it's on him to get it fixed, and if he can't, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a they had think about it, they had four opportunities <clears throat> to get the ball, go down the field, and win the game in the fourth quarter. Mm -hmm. Okay, the first one right was the Dallas Goddard, okay, mm -hmm. second one was the Quez Watkins catch and fumble. The third one that nobody talks about, this one was probably just as egregious as the others. They went three and out. Aaron Sipas ducks a guy, tries to punt with an ineligible man downfield. They lose time on the clock because of that. At that point, Michael Clay should have been saying to him, we need this. The reason they punted was to get the stoppage on the two-minute warning in addition to the timeouts that they had. He should have said, angle this motherfucker out of bounds, right? Kick mm -hmm. this ball diagonally out of bounds because you've got to hit the clock at 201 or 202 get us that stoppage and then we can work from there. Right. So, so it's, you talk about like Britain Covey and whatever. I mean, like punt and kick returning isn't super important anymore, but like the personnel is what it is. It's the marginal situational stuff that's failing them on, on special teams. The only thing, so here we go. Like, can anyone explain, explain how Britain Covey is on an NFL team? And he's been totally unimpressive, right? Well, you just kind of alluded to it. The return game in the NFL in general has been, very much neutralized. So like, we're not in like the heyday of Devin Hester, uh, like the human joystick type stuff here. Like yeah. we're, it's, it's been very, very reined in and, you know, I don't trust him. There is no explosiveness there. I mean, there hasn't been to this point anyway. So I, I think like, if you don't want to see this guy return to kicks anymore, that's totally fair. But the, the things that get me are like the, the coverage units. Like that's where like I go crazy. Like it just feels like the coverage units are a little bit leaky. Last night you talk about the Sipos punt. Like he had a free run at him. Like he has to dodge him and then on the run try to unload on this ball. So like you talk about the strategic, the, the like the strategic oversight of not angling the football. 
totally agree with you. But yeah. like, how about get your fucking protection right? Like, well, and nobody talked, nobody talked about it, Bob, too, because they got the strip sack on the very next play. But the Reed Blankenship yeah. penalty running into the the punter, I think they called it roughing, right? So, yeah. but it would have been a first down regardless because I think the yardage would wouldn't have mattered. But yeah, I mean, that's another thing. So, so they had two special teams penalties. They had the ball that should have been kicked out of bounds, and they didn't get that stoppage because of it. I mean. You can make you make much more of a case for Michael. You know, Clyde it's amazing. It's point. amazing that we're sitting here talking about the coordinators, special teams coordinator. We're talking about Jonathan Gannon. I have a question for you. Like, does any of this fall on Nick Sirianni? Like, does any of this fall on Nick Sirianni? And and what I'm specifically going to go to, the only real decision that I feel like he had to make last night that that I would put on him is the decision they get the they get to the fourth down late in the game. Yeah. I guess they're holding what. Uh, Washington's holding uh, like a five point lead or something like that, or whatever it was. Yeah. And they kicked the field goal from 55 out. Mm -hmm. They have an opportunity to walk that back five yards, um, potentially replay third down, but he's 60 out at this point. Like they accept the penalty there. Like what do you think about that sequence? Because it it loomed large in, in the grand scheme of things. I'll go quick, Kev. The way they were just getting gashed on third down, it just would have been another third down uh, conversion, in my opinion. So I agree I, with well, you. let's explain that. Let's explain either side of it first, like yeah. for context. So yes, you back them up and you give yourself the potential to have a big play, maybe like get a loss or an incompletion or something like that, and then you you move a fifty-five yarder back, right? But then the other half of it is what EJ is saying right here. They run a draw for 25 yards or some shit and then they're kicking a 45 yarder instead of a 55 yard I, you know it's funny man because if you watch the replay of that kick it got it got inside the the upright by like a foot yeah like a half a foot so it was it was it was close but i mean that was the only marginal thing that he and it's, it's interesting because i think that is like really for me the only the only thing that i look at with the head coach and i'm, I'm probably missing something but usually if you have a game that's that frustrating to that degree, you're looking at two people, almost always, the head coach and the quarterback. And yeah. here we are, and nobody's talking about either of those guys today. It's it's almost amazing. I mean can, – Can I have a take about this game? I, everybody's like, well, the you know, commanders played well. I don't even think they played that well, to be that's honest. What I, I, I don't, that's what I said to Bob before he came on. I said, I don't think this is a commander's win. I think this was an Eagles loss. They played we – they had a fourth and one where they had a delay of game, and that was the difference between seven and three for them. Heineke had two brutal turnovers. On the, the possession where they were driving and they got down to the red zone, their offensive coordinator stopped running the ball, and he called two pass plays, right? So to, to me, it wasn't like a clear cut. Down. I mean, they made a bunch of mistakes too, and they turned over the ball twice too. The Eagles just shut, like turned the Gatling gun on their feet and just started firing, right? So it was – they they just made more mistakes than Washington did. I don't even. I think it was just. I mean, I'm mean, not, not trying to give Washington credit. I just don't. No. Uh, you know. I'm I'm not giving them any credit. This was their Super Bowl. They won their Super Bowl in Week Ten. <laughs> They'll be golfing in January. They're playing dreams and nightmares in the in the locker room. Yeah. They're putting chains all over Taylor Heineke on the plane ride home. They're going nuts like they just clinched the division. They're fourth in the division. They're five and five. They're yeah. they're six. You know what? It's, it's amazing. Stuff. Like they, they've revived their season and, and it's no coincidence that they revived their season after Carson Wentz was benched or got hurt and is probably now going to be benched when he becomes healthy again. But look at this schedule for them. Like Texans, Falcons, man, Giants, like they've got a shot to, they've got like real postseason juice right now. Everyone's got a shot right now. I mean, there is so much just like right in the middle, in the heart of the NFC and the AFC. There's, I mean, how many three and seven teams are there? There's like eight three and seven teams. Like three and 17 would be like the top two pick in like some years. And we, and the Eagles have the fourth one overall pick right now. So let me ask you this. Uh, you look ahead now. We're talking about, hey, all of a sudden you blink. You're only a game really up on the Giants. You have the tiebreaker with Minnesota. This is not ne- this is not necessarily a, a comfortable spot for the Eagles. Like they're not in cruise control here. Like these games are really important. They don't have too much wiggle room if they want to have a first round bye. If they want to have home field advantage, like they've got to go to work now. Like it's pretty much even up. You know, in any other year, they'd be like a two or three loss team that's jockeying for the top spot in the conference. You know, eight and zero. All of a sudden, that that security blanket is gone. So it brings me to this week, and you start to look at it. 
And I don't know who the Giants have. Giants have somebody, I believe, that's pretty weak again, if I'm not mistaken. I'll look it uh, up. Giants the, have the Lions to, uh, on Sunday. Yeah, Lions, and then they go Cowboys, Commanders. And so you start to think once they get into the East, that'll all sort of shake itself out. And the Eagles obviously have the Giants twice, and if they can't handle New York, then then that's on the Eagles. So I'm not really worried about the Giants, but the one game I'm, I'm circling this week is, is – quite obviously the Cowboys Vikings game. And so now if you're an Eagles fan, how do you, how do you unpack that game? Like, I mean, I know it's never root for Dallas, but now you root for Dallas. You're probably going yeah. into this game. If you're thinking big picture, truly thinking big picture, I think you're rooting for Dallas to knock off the Vikings this week. Yeah. We've rooted for Dallas in the past. I've rooted for Dallas in the past in some games. You got to root for Dallas. All right. But the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I will say this. <laughs> um, I was going to ask a question. Well, I'll still ask the question anyway. Who who do you think last night played a good game? For the Eagles? Wentz by sitting on the sideline. For the Eagles. Uh, yeah, I mean, I thought Jalen Hurts played pretty well. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure there's one or two decisions he'd like to have back. But even you look at the interception, yeah. you know, it's, he, had a lot of success. he had a lot of success against the Steelers taking those shots. So mm-hmm. if you want to turn around and be critical of him last night on the A.J. Brown deep ball, uh, you know. Here's, I, uh, a, here's a technicality. Two of his interceptions, what does he have, three this year? Two of his three interceptions have hit Eagle players in the hands. Yeah, I know that the degree of difficulty for that A.J. Brown catch was infinitely more than the screen pass that they fluffed or whatever. But, I mean, you, you like, you, like you say, in the Steelers game, he caught like three passes in double coverage, you know? And no issue going going down. I mean, Jalen threw him a good ball. The other guy just made a better play. I got like zero problem with that. My, my only thing was that like – that third down at the end of the game, he had backside pressure. I'm talking about Jalen Hurts had backside pressure, and he had, he could have been flushed to his right, and he could have tried to extend the play. I'm not really sure why he tried to shoot through the gap. I mean, maybe he saw something that we didn't see, but that was my only – that was the only, like, decision-making thing where I was like, eh, I, I don't know, you know. Yeah, I felt like he did a pretty good job last night. I thought the offensive line, for the most part, played pretty well. You know, it's tough, too, from, from an offensive perspective, and I guess yeah. – this is very obvious, but when you don't have the football and you're not able to establish consistent rhythm, you know, you're you're going to see that. But a lot of their mistakes were just, you know, self-inflicted. A lot of it was, you know, referee aided. Like, I thought that things were blocked up fairly well for the most part. So yeah, yeah. I, I look at it that way, and I guess that that's probably the positive that I come out of it with. But the Eagles did not play a very good game across the board last night. No, not too many guys could be in the locker room after the game saying, like, you know, I played pretty well. And by the way. Robert Quinn, like, <laughs> come on, man. You know, I come on. Did he play last night? Did he play last night? Twenty-two snaps, I believe, and just a non-factor. I mean, be the new Golden Tate. I'm gonna take on a touchdown yeah. in the playoffs. So I new guess. Ryan Kerrigan. It's like the Ryan, Ryan Kerrigan. Kerrigan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I think he's got something in the tank still, and I'm gonna guess that at some point it'll show up. But uh, the early returns have been. I don't know. Maybe that's why Howie made the Bears pay his whole fucking salary. So can we like real quickly here just have a serious like Jonathan Gannon dig defense, like actual talk about defense discussion? Because here's the thing. You don't have Jordan Davis, right? Okay, he's been helpful early down run stuffing, right? Three defensive tackles and the two guys in the overhang. You don't have Avante Maddox, who's your slot corner. They have Josiah Scott in there. So like if I'm looking at the situation, I know that Indy's going to run Jonathan Taylor 50 fucking times, right? I would rather be beat by a 47-year-old Matt Ryan, you know? I mean, the Colts don't uh, don't have pro bowlers catching passes, right? So, give me base. Nicobe Dean? Are you calling for Nicobe Dean? <laughs> Why do you call him Nicobe, by the way? Is that is a it, Is it Nicobe? Nicobe, yeah. I've heard Nicobe. Okay, I thought that was just like a thing, like a saying, like we like how we say mongrels or something. I thought it was just like a nickname you had for him. No, I swear I've heard Nicob. Okay, so we'll throw Kaiser White, T.J. Edwards, and whomever in there, Nicobe Dean. Right? I, I mean, you, I I would much rather have them if Michael Pittman burns Darius Slay and Matt Ryan kills you with his arm. So be it. But. You know, at some point, it's not really what Jonathan Gannon wants to do schematically. It's like, is will he philosophically deviate from his his ideas and his principles? That's really the question here. You know, like to say that he's not stupid. He could put 
eight guys in the box every single play if he wanted to. So it's not like a lack of understanding what he could do or what needs to be done. It's like, will he deviate philosophically from what he believes in? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, do you try that bare front? Do you put Tui Pelotu in there where Jordan Davis is? Does that make sense? Do you blitz more to help the four guys, uh, ancient Fletcher Cox, who can't get to the quarterback anymore? Like, what, like, that's what I want people to talk about. Like, realistically, what do you want him to do? And understanding in the framework that it's for him, it's not really, maybe it's stubbornness, but it's, it's a, it's a larger philosophical thing. It's not like an incompetence thing, you know? Well, what kind of, I think, concerns me, right? Like, so you look at the game last night, you say, all right, it's one loss, they're eight and one points per game. And like, you can sit there and take a deep breath and say, all right, it's, it's all okay. It happens. It's the NFL, but you do start to look at personnel and I agree with you. I mean, they're going to probably run the ball 45 times on Sunday. Right. And so you've got to figure out a way to, to kind of shore that up with your personnel deficiencies. The thing that is starting to get to me, and I know that, that Josh Sweat made, made a splash play early on last night, gets the football back, they score. But you look at these defensive ends now, and I do think it's it's a concern when you look at some of the lack of production. Hassan Reddick, one sack in his last four games. Brandon Graham hasn't had a sack since week three, the first time they played Washington. Yeah. You know, like just talked about Robert Quinn. No impact there whatsoever. The Eagles defensive ends over the last five games have three total sacks. Like that – when you put that much priority on your defensive line, and, and that's what the Eagles do, they build from the inside out and yeah. throwing fastballs off the edge, they're not getting home. And so then you pair that with suspect interior defensive line play, and like you know, you start to look at things and you say, Well, it's the NFL, every team has vulnerabilities. Not every team is going to be a hundred percent sound across the board, but this defensive line is is a little bit concerning for me. Yeah, where's Derek Barnett when you need him, man? Like yeah. maybe the Eagles are missing Derek Barnett, my column. But listen, this here's the thing. Like if John if Jonathan Taylor runs 40 times and or runs, you know, yeah, 40 times and chews up 40 minute a clock, you know, that makes me want to jump off the off the bridge, right? But if you know, you play three linebackers and you try to get beefier in the box and Paris Campbell beats Kaiser White on a you know bullshit slant or something like that. Okay, I can live with that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would rather have that be the thing than to watch them, to watch what happened to them last night happen again. Kevin, you know what I'm saying? I think EGM has a has a good question for you. When it gets to extremes where your offense only gets the ball 20 minutes, don't you want the defense to give up some big plays or turn it over? Well, yeah, I mean, you'd rather go like high risk, high reward, like either get gashed or turn the ball over instead of like dying a death by a million cuts or whatever you, you call it, you know, but. I don't know. I watch a lot of Big 12 college football, so there's not much defense played anyway. There's like four, four million possessions. But I keep saying this, man. When when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017, the number one like auxiliary thing that they were really good at was time of possession. They would just grind teams into the dust. They would get off on third down. I mean, they were finishing games with like 35, 36, 37 minutes time of possession, you know? And that, that just like other teams can't – other offenses can't get find any rhythm, can't get into a groove, you know? So – that was more of the bigger picture thing to me. They didn't. It, it's not that Washington like really was opening gaping holes to run through. It's that they were like just pounding and pounding and pounding, getting in third and short and chewing clock. You know. Now it's interesting. Last night you look at this Dallas Goddard news. So he only had three targets last night. He actually had three catches on his three targets. He's been about five six catches per game. He's averaged anywhere recent weeks between like six to nine targets per game. Obviously, you lose him for an extended period of time. That's going to have a negative impact. How do you schematically offset his absence? Because it's not like it's a plug-and-play situation where you say, oh, well, you know, we have another really good pass-catching tight end. A lot of times I'd say, all right, well, if you need something a little bit more intermediate, then you're going to utilize your, your running backs in the pass game more. Legals don't do that because, one, they seemingly don't trust Miles Sanders in the pass game whatsoever. And then, you know – to what degree are you using a guy like does Boston Scott get a little bit more? Does, does Kenny Gainwell get a little bit more? I'm I've been so wholeheartedly unimpressed with Kenny Gainwell in the passing game. You know, that was yeah. kind of what we were sold on that, you know, he's this dynamic receiving option. And I haven't really seen that. Well, um, I think you go, oh, I'm sorry, man. I thought, no, go I, ahead. no, I was, I was pulling up something here and I couldn't see the screen. Um, 
I mean, I think you just play a ton of 11 personnel, right? I mean, Zach Pascal goes in and gets those snaps, you know. I mean, Jack Stoll's had some good moments this year, but if if the def- if the difference to me, you know, if you're saying three receivers, a running back, and a tight end versus just straight 11, Miles Sanders split back and four receivers out there, I, I think I'd rather have Zach Pascal get like the those those snaps, you know. Um, you know, I know that they run a lot off of you know, having the tight end in there and using those tight ends to block and wham and do different things schematically. So I don't know how that makes your whole offense look, but um, I mean, you could spread it out, you know, try to try to throw and make that make that a focus or just, uh, you know, try to move guys off the line of scrimmage and just run Miles Sanders. But yeah, I mean, there is a big, a big drop off there for sure. I don't even know who the third tight end is. Noah Toad, Toad, Togi or whatever. Grant Calcaterra. Oh, Calcaterra's back. Yeah, okay. You know, sign Dick Rod, or if you want, I don't know. You know, you he think they'll sign there. Dick Rod? I, I think Tyree he- Jackson is back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually believe yeah. uh, ESP said that that may be the best option uh, to, to replace Goddard's production. But uh, I can actually pull this up here if you guys want to vamp and talk about something else. I can look at what personnel they played um, over the last couple of games. Well, I think that the question everyone's asking themselves today, right, is are these guys good? Like, are we sure they're good? Yeah. And it's such, such a stupid, you know, morning talk show type thing. I think the Eagles are very good. Are they Are they the best team in the NFC? Do, do we believe that through 10 weeks at this point? All things considered. I don't know how you can't say they are. I mean, this this Vikings win against the Bills, like I know it was a good win, but like they're missing, um, they're missing Micah Hyde. They're missing Jordan Poyer. They're missing um, Jadarius White. They're missing three fourths of their of their secondary. Don't get me wrong. I don't think them up 17, 14 most of the game. Vikings are coming back with with a healthy secondary. And I know uh, I forget who it is, Micah, pa- Micah Hyde or Jordan Poyer. They're out for the year, but even two thirds of those guys back. I just don't think Kirk Cousins wins that game. Because you get to this point, and then we talked about this with the Phillies. Were the Phillies a World Series contender coming into the regular season? this past year. No, they, they weren't. Right. And then things played out. They, they go on this magical run and then they have a two to one series lead over the Astros. And objectively speaking, Houston is a superior baseball team. Houston should have won the world series, right. From start to finish from day one to the final day of the season. So that result was not surprising, but you're at home. You have a series lead, how hard it is to get back. To be in that spot, you know, they're. I think you're entitled to feel like, damn, like they really missed an opportunity. They should have finished. Mm-hmm. So I argue that this isn't about making the playoffs. This isn't about we're past the like, is Jalen Hurts the future? We need to evaluate. Or is this a division contender? Like, yeah, it is. They should win the division. So for me, my expectations have moved. They've changed now. So this isn't about winning the division. This is about being the one seed. This is about giving yourself the best chance possible to make a deep postseason run. So it's not one game for me. It's just looking ahead and saying, this team should win the conference. Like this, mm-hmm. we've been told that this is the best team in the NFC now for two months. That's my focus. Are they, you know, and that's, that's what I am now fixing. I'm having a hard time enjoying the ride. Because I'm like, you better you better cash. I think that's perfect right there. You're having a hard time to enjoy the ride. Because I said this a couple of weeks ago, where it's like, if they don't make the Super Bowl this year, I consider this a failure of a season. I think I, would, I absolutely agree with you. I, because I wholeheartedly, barring more catastrophic injuries. Because the NFC is so weak this year that it is the, a, a tremendous Phillies point where it's like, you might not ever get back here ever again. So when you do, you better go and you better take it by the horns. You better win. Yeah. I mean, when are you going to have Jalen Hurts playing on a rookie contract? When are you yeah. going to have this type of strength of schedule? When are you going to have a, a conference that just has awful, god-awful quarterback play from top to bottom? I mean, now's the time. So here's the numbers for you. They've played 425 snaps of 11 personnel, 128 snaps of 12 personnel, which is two tight ends. they played 57 snaps of 13 personnel and they've played one snap of 21 personnel which i think is two running backs out there so of the 425 looks to be about 66 70 percent of everything that they've done this year has come out of 11 um 
244. They've thrown the ball 244 times out of that, and they've ran the ball 181 times out of 11 personnel. You know, one tight end, one running back, three receivers. So if you want to just put tweak your 11 personnel and just go to four receivers instead, just take a tight end off the field entirely and do it that way. I mean, you could have Zach Pascal kind of kind of be that guy. You know, he because he's a guy who can he can catch. They love that Dallas Goddard little quick screen, little flat screen, whatever. He can run that. Zach Pascal can run that. You know, he's like a good short yardage kind of receiver. So you're talking about who's the next best guy on the depth chart across all right. the positions. Like he would be the guy that I go to. Well, it's going to be a challenge because one, you're on a short week. Two, I'm very curious to see what AG Brown, you know, looks like come Sunday. You know, I I guess I could go for it. It was just a bad game, but it sure looked like there was some type of lingering issue with the ankle based on the mm-hmm. production. There was no separation. Struggled throughout the game. Um, it was really a bizarre performance, and I would probably be inclined to chalk it up to injury. Um, so if that lingers into this week, now you're taking away your two top targets in the past game. You know, it does start to create a little bit of a, okay, like buckle your seatbelt type of vibe. Yeah, the, if, if there's a lot of injuries that are going to progress, that's the only thing that I could see this team like just catastrophically imploding. Um, question for you guys. I just thought of this off the top of my head. No, no Wentz tribute last night. Surprised? <laughs> no, no. I, I was a little surprised. No, man. Um, there's there's some bad blood there, you know. Like there's some animosity on on both sides, I think, and that's that's a tribute absolutely nobody wants. I don't think Carson Wentz wanted it because if Carson Wentz is up there, and were you at the game last night? I wasn't yeah. last night. So I, I'm just kind of curious. Like, was there any any nod to him at all? Was there? Anything? There was. Uh, he went through the tunnel. A little bit of booze. Yeah. He smiled, laughed a little bit. Uh, little, very awkward uh, media member uh, videos of him walking in as he, just quiet. Like, yeah. I, I think it's kind of like if you're him, you don't want that tribute because you're going to hear it a little bit. But you know what's amazing, and I think probably speaks volumes about where he's at in his career, is that. Nobody really cared about him at all last night. And I know he wasn't playing, and I know that that obviously goes into it, but he – The broadcast didn't even really talk about it. He's completely irrelevant. I I mean, he's become increasingly irrelevant across the league. You know, I I think everybody at this point just knows, like, this guy's a backup. He lost his job last night. Yeah, yeah, Will he he get another crack at some point? You know, I'm sure he will. Uh, Maybe not as as an – you know – starter going into a season even but like i'm sure his time will come again but i just don't think i don't think there's anybody in the league right now that is looking at him and saying he possesses the intangible leadership skills required to to be a winner i don't think that there's anybody that looks at his physical tools and can even talk themselves into all of his shortcomings and being able to oh yeah but he's got a rocket arm like i think that day is gone for him yeah i mean you look what you know you look at not only his play on the field, but look at those guys on the team playing last night with Taylor Heineke. They love Taylor Heineke. The fan base loves Taylor Heineke. Like everybody, he lost his job last night and he might be on his fourth team. He'll probably look good in Atlanta. I think he looked good in a little black and red. He'll always be one of the most curious, one of the most curious sports personalities, I think, to, to ever come through this city. I mean, we all understand how he contributed in 2017 to the end result. But you look at three different organizations in a in a three-year span where he comes in and he's the guy. And then in this case, not even by the end of the season, you know, has basically been cast aside. You know, the, the Eagles decide like, we've got to do everything within our power to move on from this guy after 2020, he goes to Indianapolis. That's been well-documented. The owner basically said like, I'll light myself on fire if he's my quarterback again next year. And, you know, five games into this season with the commanders, he's, he seemingly appears to be out of a job. So you wonder just what happens from like a personality standpoint. Like, can you think of anybody in your life that, that like everyone just hates, but you're like, he's not a bad guy. Cause it just seems like he might be a bad guy. How else do you explain it? Right? Like there's one or two guys. It's just, it's very, very strange. It's such a strange dynamic and, and how he seemingly just has this inability to connect 
with, yeah. with guys around them. He's, he's, a, fr- like, he's the friend you don't want to. He's the friend that like you're not you're never going to invite him to go out to get beers with. But he gets the invite to Friendsgiving or he gets the invite to like the Christmas party and stuff, because there are also 12 other people that you'll do your five minute conversation with them. And then you'll just be looking around, you know, to get some of the tag team. You know, hey, it's your turn to do it. I'm going to go talk to, <laughs> to, to Greg. Yeah, um, that's probably about right. I want to I want to finish on a on a more of a, a lighthearted fun topic since this was probably 55 minutes of just like what like sky is falling. Um the the guy who had Miles Sanders in the parlay last night. Now obviously hindsight's 2020 20, made the right decision. If anyone didn't know, he put $10 down to win 135,000. He needed Miles Sanders to have 110 rushing yards, hit the over last night to cash. He ended up taking 21,000, I think it was 21,000. He ended up taking 21,000 cash out, which obviously was okay. The thing with this is, though, I want to tell you, Bob, I'm riding it, and I'm only riding it because he also had a Christian McCaffrey parlay the day before that he took 13,000 he cashed out on that, and and he would have won 59,000 because all he needed was a Christian McCaffrey touchdown. So I'm looking at 13,000. You know, I'm letting that ride. Obviously, if you're watching the game, you're just yelling at the TV, screaming at Shane Steichen, screaming at Nick Sirianni to get Miles Sanders the ball. It would have been one of it would have been a terrible, absolutely terrible beat. And I know how you feel about parlays and everything, but I kind of look at this like, and I wrote it in the blog. This is like going to Everest, and you're right at the peak of Everest. You're about to climb and be like, you know what? It's a little too cold right now. So you know what? I'm going to go climb back down, and it's not really worth it. 135,000 is 135,000. No one's ever going to talk about that time that Tommy took 21,000 from FanDuel, the big corporate greed monsters. I love them, actually. I love them. It's just such a tough play. It's like such a hard play to back that and Miles Sanders in that spot. I mean, they just don't give him that type of workload. And then could you imagine? Could you imagine saying, I'm rolling the dice. I'm climbing Everest. And you see him get two touches in the first half. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's like a three hour funeral, right? Where you're just like, I've made a horrible, horrible decision. And there's no way to hedge that like in real Yeah, You're not going to find a prop where it's like you take the under on a hundred. Yeah. No one's going to give that to you. The only thing is getting out of that. The the craziest thing is him not taking a Christian McCaffrey touchdown parlay. Like all he needed was one touchdown from Christian McCaffrey. Like Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Shanahan loves Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you're you're in the middle of the the second quarter on that parlay, right? It's like uh, a Brock tail. It's like or the the bikers come in. And he says, "Now you just can't leave." Yeah. Like Fanduel goes, "Now you can't leave." Like yeah. it's over. And they gave him the one time offer. It's so yeah. funny too because it's like there's a guy like he he wasn't an Eagles fan, so he's probably like, "Who the fuck is Boston Scott? Who the yeah. fuck is this Kenny Gainwell guy?" I've been told that Miles Sanders is number one on the depth chart. Nick Sirianni's telling us that Nick that Miles Sanders is number one on the depth chart all all training camp. Isn't it crazy you look at that ticket, though, and you go, this is easy. This could have been done. Like, <laughs> like those odds, those odds are wild. Like, I, I don't even know what they came out to. There was, like, I think six or seven digits there. And you're like, oh, 135,000 to one. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's all that had to happen for this to pay out. And when you break it down bit by bit, I mean, the Justin Fields thing is obviously, I mean, that is just crazy, right? 110 for a quarterback. And I know that they really reinvented their offense in Chicago and have become run oriented left field so you have yeah you have uh wilson uh with the um with the dolphins so i mean like this is like i don't know like this ticket Najee harris like that doesn't seem ridiculous like down to the tail 125 yards of the season he's been having like that's pretty ridiculous well i love that though contextually and it's easy to say now because it happened but the raiders can't defend the run and you knew that Jeff Saturday was going to come in and be like, back to basics. You know, <laughs> you have Jonathan Taylor. He's one of the best backs in football, and we're going to run it left. We're going to run it right. Like, it's like Jim Mercer's making me play Matt Ryan. Fine, we're running the ball. We're running the ball, you know? And so it kind of that all made sense. Miles Sanders is the one you look at and go, 110? Yeah, yeah if this was a Sunday, that parlay was over by 1 o'clock, and we weren't, <laughs> we weren't talking about this. Um, FanDuel's got to love this stuff, man. I know you work closely with the gambling companies and everything, but they yeah. probably they like, oh, you you want to see this ticket for one hundred and thirty five thousand dollars? You can do it, too. They love this stuff. I mean, say that ticket cashes and they pay one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to that guy. I mean, number one, we could talk about the same game parlay. It's a losing bet. They're cleaning up on it in general. But this shit is free advertising. We've just dedicated five minutes to our show about this. Mm-hmm. This is all over the Internet. 
Oh, FanDuel, same game parlay. I mean, they just paid, they could have, they would have gladly paid that 130K for the amount of, of, of hot air and ink, that, you know, the topic got, you know, and, and gets every week. I, I have a, <laughs> I have a group chat with some guys um, that we just, they just throw same game parlays all the time. There was one in, in it. I woke up today, nine, nine, 12 in the morning. First parlay came in. <laughs> <laughs> cooking them up. Just cooking them up. Cooking it's a nice little, nice little college basketball, college football matching little parlay there. And that's, now, do you go – one of the Sixers play again? Are they, are they on tonight? Are they back uh, tonight or they got another day? A Temple's on tonight, so that's all we're really focusing on. But, oh, yeah. um, Temple Vandy, right? Temple Vandy, Owen 2 Vandy. Ken Palm has him, big, has, him, uh, has him before us. So that would be an all-time Aaron McKee loss if we just have the highs of highs of Villanova and then we lose to O2 Vandy at least we don't have to at least we're not playing down at Vanderbilt with those stupid courts where they put both both teams behind the baseline uh no uh Sixers Sixers Friday Friday, yeah against the Bucks it's quite a layoff now I wonder do you go like when you're putting you're cooking together your SGPs are you uh looking at Joel Embiid on Friday night and saying well he's going to go under the point total you know like are you the guy that plays contrarian or do you ride it until it, it you know I don't bet basketball um, because I don't understand betting basketball. I, I've never really had success betting basketball. I think it's a it's a more polarizing, vitriolic kind of sport to the bet on. The only time I've ever bet basketball is like if I have uh, – it's always live, and I'll explain why. It's like I just – I had a bad loss. I'm trying to get right back on the horse. I mm-hmm. go in like live betting. It's like first team to 30 points or like will yeah. the next will the next field goal be a two or a three? Like I'm just in there looking for the quick win. You know the so first down guy? First downs are fun, man. Betting first downs. Yeah. Um, I try not to. Like I've, I've made a rule in my later years, like which everyone should adopt, but nobody does. Like you have a beer as soon as the alcohol hits the lips, shut down the app. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Restrictions on? Well, I um, Last year – I had a, uh, I had a, I had a uh, Doc Rivers threshold meter. So every time Doc Rivers went over twenty points, I would, I would have to throw a bet on the other team because it's just at that point, you know, if they're going to lose and they're going to blow a twenty point lead like they typically do, at least I'm going to find some happiness uh, winning some money. It's like people when they bet against, they bet against the Eagles sometimes. Like, okay, the Eagles last night, like, would you have gone live like at the end of the game? You could have done it. I think like the the Eagles were. You know, or Washington was like um, minus one twenty, like in the fourth quarter to win the game at one point. Like, you know, it's not going well. Do you say like, you know what? How much? How much money do I need to make to offset the misery of watching this unfold? Yeah, the 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 amount of money that I would have to make is just not what I have in my bank account, so I could never do it. But I did look at the live line coming out of the second half. It was minus one thirty. And it just didn't. It was too. It was too much juice for me to, to put it on. But I did believe that the the Eagles would have, and obviously DraftKings did too, that the Eagles were going to come back and, and and win the game. They're so I nice think uh, DraftKings had a very good night last night. If I if I had to guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any any other things else before we get going? No, nah, man. Uh, I'm in on Temple tonight. I'm curious to see what that looks like. They're favored. big win over Delaware State last night. Come I mean, on, no less. I, I know I just got to to Crossing Broad, and Kyle's not with the company anymore. But man, <laughs> do I wish I was hired two years ago? Because I pro- that 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 probably would have been uh, that celebration probably would have been tenfold. <laughs> I think you said it perfectly. Where it's like we all hate each other and hate each other's teams, and it makes for an, an interesting discourse sometimes when. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that that anyone in this company really likes anybody else. <laughs> I actually, the one time I knew you were so angry at me, I made sure that I sent you a compliment about one of your man on the street videos. I was like, hey, man, that was really funny. I know you don't like me, but good stuff. <laughs> you fuck, you buttered me up. You fucking loser. Um, now, yeah, there's some guys right now that, that are on my shit list that I will not talk sports with for at least a week. Um and I'm I'm just I'm getting fired up thinking about it. Um, all right, that's the show. Yeah. Until the Phillies sign Justin Verlander, then have me back on and we'll talk about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for thanks for coming in today. I know Kev had uh had some obligations. Thanks to Kevin Kincaid for coming on. Thanks to Bob Wanko. Thanks to Craig behind the ones and twos. But most importantly, thank you to the people who tuned in today. Listen, it's a short week. Gonna get better. Hopefully, they just go out and they they blow out the fighting Jeff Saturdays. They're already favored by well, that line's gonna climb to probably eight, probably nine. I think right around the Thursday, people are gonna be like, you know what? 
they're going to kick the shit out of out of, out of the uh, Colts. Hopefully, I think that nationally, people like the Eagles more than people do locally. Oh hell yeah! Oh, you know what well, I mean? Yeah, hundred percent. When you take a step back from everything, yeah, you, you typically they're, they're eight one. They'll be fine. They'll bounce back. Bad loss, revenge spot. Jeff Saturday sucks. People in Philly are like, I would take the Colts. oh man all right that's the show thank you to everybody out there we will talk to you on thursday